This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. When I'm with you, feel the pressure. 
Rainbow you are tuned into the Flat Out Pride Hour here on Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. Live stream and podcast us via freefm.org.nz, via the access.nz app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Flat out. Lady H on your mic for your Frankie Friday. Yes, you're tuned into the station and the show that celebrates us, the Glitfab Rainbow Fano, gay, lesbian, intersex, transgender, queer, fafafine, akaivine, bi, and all the fabulousness in between. And of course, outside of those scopes, because sometimes lordity is where it's at. And all of those colours, there's a spectrum, Fano, if you did not know. We do news, views, and interviews for and about our. Kahukura Rainbow Fano, flat out. That intro beat was my fave, or well, one of my faves, Solarosa, something good. Just love those vibes. Get you kickstarting for your Friday. On your show, we have got some busty beats, y'all. I just got into that DMB, and the vibe is real. We have, of course, what's hot and happening for your coming weekend. Gender ideology, Doc. So I wanted to touch on Matt Walsh's uh, doco um, where he went around to explore what is a woman. So really interesting responses from the community, from professionals and his own perspective. Now, this is an interview with a TV host. So Fano, this isn't necessarily my view or the view of our Kahukura uh, Rainbow communities. This is perspective. So I really wanted to share that with you so you could hear their perspectives and see what you thought. What is your thinking in regards to that? We'll carry on. Uh, a bit of history in here. So I'm not sure if you're aware, but in the past, way, way back in the past, how a sacred band, Army of Gay Lovers, actually defeated the Spartans. Yes, history. Wow. I kind of knew about the story, but I wanted to bring it to you because it gave me a chance to be nosy about it too. And exploring our colours, exploring our rainbow. So we've got seven things asexual people want you to know. And then, of course, non-binary, not of course, but we've got non-binary quarter in there too. And, of course, those beats and DMB busty beats. So that is us. I wanted to bring you... The last song, Realness featuring Chi-Chi, Laurie and Markaholic. Because last week it could only play underneath our closing corridor. So I had to make sure this gets in this week. Because that's a good beat. Anywho, that's our lineup on the show, Farno. Stay tuned. We're getting into exploring our colours. And then into a beat, Roscoe, Somebody to Love. And that's the Sigma Remix. Stay tuned. Back with you very soon. Asexuality is an extremely misunderstood sexual identity. Sexual intimacy is important for many of us. Because most of society deems sexual attraction important, asexuals are often ostracized, even pitied, for their sexual orientation. Asexual people often feel out of place because of the lack of knowledge concerning asexuality. Well, we've got some news for you. Asexual people don't need your pity. They need your understanding. Confused about what it means to be asexual? Psych2Go has a list of the basics that the ace community would like you to know. 
What is asexuality? Asexuality is broadly defined as the lack of sexual attraction. People who identify as asexual or ace are not typically sexually attracted to anyone. According to current statistics, 1% of the North American population identifies as asexual, though many sexual psychology experts believe this number is higher. Asexuality is a sexual orientation. Asexuality is a sexual orientation that falls in line with heterosexuality, or bisexuality, or homosexuality. Asexuality can sometimes work in tandem with another orientation. An individual can identify as asexual, but can be romantically attracted to other people. Some asexuals don't date. Some asexual people are aromantic. They do not feel romantic attraction to people, and so they don't feel the need to seek dates or relationships. Some asexuals do date. Asexuality is not a fear of intimacy. Many asexual people do have romantic attractions to other people and actively seek relationships. Asexual people can seek connections with other people of the opposite sex, heteromantic or people of the same or either sex, homoromantic and biromantic, respectively. Asexuality is not celibacy. Celibacy is a decision that an individual makes. It is the choice to refrain from sexual conduct. Asexuality is an orientation, an attitude and feeling towards sexuality. Asexuality is not a disorder. There is nothing wrong with being asexual. Asexuality is not something that needs to be fixed. Many people confuse asexuality with disorders like sexual aversion disorder or SAD, which is a persistent and fear-based avoidance of sexual contact. People with SAD often experience distress or panic during sex. SAD is a mental condition. Asexual people may feel anxious about societal pressure to be sexually active, but sex itself is not an anxiety. An asexual person just doesn't view sex as an interest. Asexuals can enjoy sexual intimacy. Asexuality is a spectrum, and not everyone lies on the same notch on the scale. There are in fact asexuals who enjoy sexual experiences. While many don't feel the need to, some asexual people do masturbate and explore sexuality on their own. Others can enjoy sexual intimacy with others while not being sexually attracted to anyone. Just as with other sexualities, asexuality is different for every individual. We hope you enjoyed this video. Would you like to know more about asexuality and asexual visibility? Visit the Asexual Visibility and Education Network at asexuality.org. Thanks for watching! I love being too fluid, genderqueer, because it just gives me the space to be exactly who I want to be. When talking about my gender identity, I often talk about how I feel that gender is something that we're socialized into and that it's not necessarily such an inherent thing. Being non-binary means I don't fit into either of the binary genders. Being non-binary is like going back to who I am culturally, which is we don't buy into the whole boy, girl, he, she, your biological bits affect who you are as an identity. I think what being non-binary and trans feminine means to me is just me being able to do my thing and I'm okay with that and to have, you know, a word and a community to surround me who feel a very similar way. Identifying as gender fluid or genderqueer, I feel for the most part people will assume that you are 
something, like you're, you are a specific gender, and then try to make a stereotype around what gender they think you are. Things that I wish people would not say or do with regards to my identity. Oh, they, them is used for plurals of people. Isn't being non-binary just another category that you put yourself into? Isn't that just as bad as being male or female only? Genitalia or your gender identity doesn't have to dictate who you are as a person or how you behave or how you interact with others or your sexual identity. People will see me as a male assume that because I might have some eyeshadows smudged across my face, I might have nails on, I might be in heels, that it was like, oh, that's a gay male. I don't think it comes from a place of hate or aggression, it's just, uh, it's not who I am and it's not how I would like to be identified. With being non-binary, I would like people to know that it's not a choice. We're not special snowflakes or people who need a hobby. It's it's definitely a deep feeling that people have to come to terms with and it's, you know, non-binary people are not attention seeking, they're just being the, the most authentic version of themselves they can be. I believe that for me to be queer, to be non-binary, it's just being who I am. I realised I was trans when I was maybe like 14 and I very much thought that it was a very binary thing. Cool, I'm a woman, a gal, a lady, but over time I feel like I ended up being just as ingenuine as I was being before, except just in a very different way that I thought was healthier, but it wasn't. And so I think eventually it wasn't a moment of big realisation, it was kind of just a long, slow realisation of, hey, you know, I don't think this is this fits within a binary of gender. So I wish that people would educate themselves before asking invasive questions to trans people in particular. For instance, asking me which bathroom I use. Or any questions to do with people's genitals is really not your business. And also every trans or non-binary person is not like a walking encyclopedia on the on the topic of being trans or non-binary. You should really get some initiative and research yourself instead of maybe asking trans or non-binary people all of the questions that you have. Some things I would like people to know about being non-binary is that for the most part we're kind of just trying to do our thing and live in a healthy and genuine way and we're not kind of trying to ask for anything super radical. I just like that freedom of being who I want to be because it's me instead of because I think that oh a boy should do this, oh a girl should do this. While it's not easy figuring out who you are and it can be a long process for some, there is so much support out there for you and there are like a lot of amazing groups and amazing people who you can reach out to who will love and support you regardless.
Rainbow Fano. You are tuned into the Flat Out Pride Hour here on Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. Live stream and podcast us via freefm.org.nz. Via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and AccessMedia.nz app. Flat Out. Lady H on your mic for your funky fry. Yay. Welcome to the show or welcome back if you're coming back on. What have we got for your show coming up? What's hot and happening for your coming weekend? Gender ideology doc. Matt Walsh talks about what is a woman. And this is an, uh, an interview. Interested in reading that doc. Uh, watching that doc, I should say. Coming up next, we've got How a Sacred Band, an Army of Gay Lovers, Defeated the Spartans. A bit of history back there. Really intriguing story. Uh, let's have a listen to that and then go into a beat. But Ellipsa heard this lovely ad. Ooh, Tauranga for some gig that I was doing. Um, but the beat is dangerous. Kind of like their beats. Different. Um, they're a DJ and got good sound. Anywho, that is us. Have a listen to History. Brought to you by Gaty. Dot co. Stay tuned. There are multiple portrayals of homosexuality in Greece and Rome in modern media, and they've painted it to be sort of a gay utopia. But the truth is a bit more complicated. Reported relationships at the time were rarely between two women and usually consisted of two males. So in their artwork, for instance, you see the male body, nude male bodies, portrayed everywhere. Not because people were going naked, but because everyone wanted to look at the male bodies. Today we portray female bodies very freely with as little clothing as the medium will allow. In the ancient world, there was very little interest in the female body. It was all the male body. One of the most successful armies in ancient Greece encouraged intimate same-sex relationships between soldiers and placed lovers side by side on the battlefield. But the story of the sacred band, a powerful Theban army, is rarely spoken about, despite winning historic battles that shaped the fabric of history. Today we talk to James Ron, a historian and author of the book, The Sacred Band. James tells us the story of the military corps and how sexual politics influenced the different Greek city-states. He shares the Greeks' feelings towards same-sex relationships and how the erotic bond between soldiers worked in their favor on the battlefield. I'm Levi Chambers, and this is Pride. My name is James Rahm. I'm a professor of classics at Bard College in the Hudson Valley, and I'm an author of several books of popular ancient history, I guess you could call it, uh, of which The Sacred Band is the most recent. Under the umbrella of classics, James specializes in ancient Greek and Roman culture. An offer came along to edit a book on Alexander the Great. And uh, so it was through working on that book that I sort of changed direction and became a historian. It was mostly the travel and exploration element of it. His journey to distant parts of the world, places that he didn't even know where he was or how far he was from the edge of the world. 
encountering creatures in the jungles of India that he'd never imagined before. That Some scholars have suggested that Alexander the Great's close friend, Hephaestion, was also his lover. But in classic Greece, sexuality was not seen as an identity. It was customary for men to have romantic relationships with other men, so long as they still married a woman. So the term gay doesn't really apply in the Greek world because the Greeks themselves never distinguished between homosexual and heterosexual inclinations. It was just sexual sexuality. It was assumed that men who had wives could also be attracted to boys and vice versa. Basically, everyone was bisexual. They just didn't call it that. So our modern day terminology doesn't really apply well. But I think what is utopian about the Greek world is its acceptance of male eros, male passion for other men as just a natural condition. This male passion was the secret weapon the sacred band used to fight to end Spartan domination. So this is starting around 380 BC, the late classical period, I guess you could say, creation of the sacred band. It was being led by a singularly talented general, commander, philosopher, a man of many talents named Epaminondas. In Thebes, there was a kind of a supportive culture, even a legislative program that supported male unions. They resembled something closer to a modern-day same-sex couple. At Thebes, things were totally different because, as I say, these were same these were same age relationships or close to the same age. By being in the military together, it is clear that both members of a couple in the sacred band were adults, and in fact, they even had vows of fidelity, similar to marriage vows. In a sense, they were the first to invent gay marriage because they actually envisioned men spending their lives together. So this was a unique thing at Thebes, not found elsewhere in Greece, and seems to have been the principle that organized the sacred band. And uh, the fact that they were able to swear fidelity to one another shows that there was a permanence, maybe even exclusiveness, to the relationships. The sacred band was a tool created to take down Sparta, which had been in power for nearly 40 years following their victory in the Peloponnesian War. The Spartans, as you say, are an object of fascination today, and that's really kind of too bad in my eyes, because the Spartan culture was not one which any of us would want to be part of. The Sparta was a deeply um, authoritarian system. Thebes was a free society, it was totally different, and it harnessed its freedom, its, its love of liberty as a way to combat Sparta and kind of formed an anti-Spartan coalition, states that didn't approve of the Spartan way of doing things, which was highly militaristic, highly oppressive, rallied to Thebes. In 371 BC, they took down Sparta during the Battle of Leuctra, which was a big deal when the sacred band had been on the scene for about eight years. It was their biggest test. It was the first time facing the entire Spartan army in an open field battle, a battle where both sides were able to deploy and use their strategy to the fullest. And Thebes was victorious. 
It was the first time the Spartans had been defeated in an open field battle in their entire history. And it rocked the Greek world to the core. This was a takedown of the top dog city that had always been the superpower for its entire history. Even though this period of Theban dominance lasted only through the decade of the 360s, Sparta would never again rise to its former heights. From the beginning, the Sacred Band did not behave like every other military organization. They had a unique way of approaching battles, like dressing up as women to distract their enemies. Disguise in women's clothing was a, um, a kind of a covert operation by which the Thebans took over their own city from Sparta. Sparta had imposed a kind of military dictatorship for three years. The Thebans managed to sneak 12 operatives inside the city, have them dress as women, and assassinate the Spartan leadership by pretending that they were there for a sex romp and then suddenly drawing their daggers. That was before the creation of the Sacred Band. Sacred Band never cross-dressed. They took their strength from their cohesion, their ability to stay together in a tight unit, almost like a spearhead. They formed the spearhead of the Theban army. And in the Battle of Leuctra, where they faced the Spartans, they were just launched at an opportune moment directly at the Spartan leadership so as to hit them with ma maximum impact. And the Spartan king, who was leading the battle, was killed right off, right at the start of the engagement. And that turned the tide of the battle. This was a new phenomenon. No one had stood up to the Spartans in an open field battle. No one had faced them head on like that. Everyone was too scared. Their opponents would often turn and run as soon as the Spartans started to advance on them because everyone knew that they couldn't be beaten. So this was standing up to the big bully and showing that he wasn't so tough after all. Members of the band, or any male couples, felt a passionate commitment to one another because of their erotic bond. And that commitment made them willing to do the utmost on the battlefield, both to protect the other and especially to show the virtue of courage. Because these relationships were based on kind of mutual idealism or mutual pursuit of ethical goals. The erotic bond was not just, you know, for intimacy. It was also a way of mutually pursuing moral virtue. They try to excel on the battlefield when the other one is witnessing their courage. That's the ultimate kind of intimacy, is to be brave together.
No more hooky mine, no maharamai. Kahu kura rainbow fano. You're tuned back into the Flat Out Pride Hour here on Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. Live stream and podcast us via freefm.org.nz via the tune in app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Flat out. Tui ngario o te hapui. Bringing together the voices of our community. That is Free FM's tagline. And Flat Out Pride absolutely supports that kaupapa kōrero. For showa, for showa. How a sacred band, army of gay lovers, defeated Spartans. Really interesting story. This is like a half an hour, 40 hour podcast uh, interview. And the story, I couldn't bring the whole thing to you, but just a snippet of that history. Super interesting. Super interesting to me. Anywho, Ellipsa was the beat. Dangerous. We've got what's hot and happening for your coming weekends in terms of events. Sorry, this weekend in terms of events. Uh, we've got up next, gender ideology doc. So Matt Walsh went around or quite a few places around the world uh, exploring the the Fakado. What is a woman? And this little snippet is an interview with a TV host. Now, their Fakado and what was come out of that has been quite controversial. And I wanted to share this to get your perspective on it, to get you to think about this really interesting question that he's posing. And it led me to think, who would be the one to ask, what is a man? And the interesting quarter that would come out of that. Because alongside this concept, what is a woman, then they're also talking about uh, transitioning and people's or professionals and communities' whakaro or thoughts about what that means. So we're going into that. And of course, after that, we have a DMB beat, Molly Collins and Ruth Royal Remedies. That's the Vibe Chemistry Remix from UKF release. Stay tuned. we got more for you very soon. And now something I've been waiting weeks to bring you. It's the extraordinary Matt Walsh, the man behind the groundbreaking documentary, What is a Woman? What is a woman? Can you tell me that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're at the Women's March. You must have some idea. Please, if one person could tell me what a woman is. You are not here for women. We ask you to leave. What is that? A woman is not anything in particular. There is not one particular thing. It could be many things to many people. Some women have penises, right? Some men have vaginas. I like scented candles. I've watched Sex and the City. Yeah. How do I know if, if I'm a woman? That's a great question. You're not a scientist. You're not a gender studies major. No. How do you know? But you're a man. I guess because I got a dick. Can a man become a woman? <laughs> I'm not a woman, so I, I can't really answer that. Women only know what women are. Are you a uh, cat? No. Can you tell me what a cat is? Do you want to tell us what a woman is? This 95-minute documentary is from author, speaker and podcast host Matt Walsh. He also has a book by the same name and he travelled across America and other parts of the world seeking to answer that key question. I began by asking Matt why he made this documentary in the first place. 
Well, it starts with just recognizing that gender ideology is this pervasive, toxic influence in our culture across the world, across the Western world anyway, and uh, and also realizing that, you know, in, in spite of the fact that it's been so success, successful in claiming so many people's minds, um, it is really quite hollow at its core. And uh, it seemed to me, you know, going back years that just a couple of questions really bring down the whole house of cards, starting with the question, which is in the title of the movie, of course, uh, what is a woman? If you can't define what, a word, what the word woman is, then nothing that the gender ideologues say makes any sense. None of the claims that they make make any sense if they can't define the term. And uh, as we discovered filming the documentary, they, they certainly cannot define the term. No, they can't. Even women at the Women's March were completely baffled by that question and, and didn't feel confident committing an answer. Now, there is a hero that emerges in this documentary. You've said that Scott Nugent is the hero of the film. Uh, let's, let's hear what they have to say. We have five children's hospitals in the United States promoting that. That's a phalloplasty. That's a bottom surgery. We have five children's hospitals in the United States telling girls that they can be boys at $70,000 a pop in a surgery that has a 67% complication rate. That will kill me from infection that I can't sue on. We're butchering a generation of children because nobody's willing to talk about anything. Really does take a rare courage to, to put yourself out there and speak so honestly, Matt, because you know they're going to be attacked for, for telling their story. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and it's a really interesting contrast between, you know, we talked, of course, to people on both sides of the issue, including so-called experts who are proponents of this stuff. And uh, for them, they were very evasive, didn't want to talk about anything, always acting like they had something to hide, uh, very vague and sort of abstract in their answers. Then we talked to Scott Nugent, and um, it was it, we just heard the clip there, and she's very open, um, very kind of raw and honest willing to talk about anything, kind of laying it all out there. And um, I do find it to be to be heroic, uh, especially, you know, to go through this, go through the whole process of quote unquote transitioning and then to turn around and warn other people against it. I think that's a really powerful thing. And it's, it's even more, it's more powerful than, because you and I can, can sit, sit here and say, you know, here are the problems with mm -hmm. these kinds of procedures. But for someone who's actually been through it, and kind of cross that bridge for them to turn back around and uh, shout to anyone else who might cross it and warn them against it, I think is even more powerful. So um, that's why I think that, you know, uh, interview in the film was, was really effective. As you mentioned, you spoke to doctors who performed these surgeries, uh, irreversible surgeries on some very young patients. Uh, let's hear from one of those doctors you interviewed. What's the, what's the youngest patient that you've operated on? The youngest patient I've done vaginoplasty on um, is age 16. Do you worry that minors just don't understand enough about themselves? They're not neurologically developed enough yet to make permanent life-altering decisions? Absolutely not. Just a very casual, dismissive attitude to a 16-year-old making a decision that is 
a lifelong decision. There's no coming back from that. Right, there isn't. And, you know, 16 is obviously very, very young, and it's horrific that we're doing that to 16-year-olds. Um, but then you have to consider that, that many times kids are um, being put down this path at even younger ages. I mean, we talked to a quote-unquote gender-affirming pediatrician who puts kids on drugs at, you know, 12 years old, 13 years old. So um, at, at very young ages, where it, whether it's surgery or drugs that sterilize kids, um, we're being told that the child is, quote, making a decision at such a young age. But that, of course, doesn't make any sense because even the people who support giving uh, sex change surgeries to 16-year-olds, if you ask them, well, should a 16-year-old be able to get a tattoo on their face or anywhere else on their body? Uh, should a 16-year-old be able to buy a gun, you know, buy alcohol? Like any of these kinds of decisions, almost everybody would agree, well, no, that's too young. So um, if it's too young for that, then how is it not too young to make these life-altering permanent changes to your body, uh, you know, that's that's the question they never have an answer to. And talking about treatments for, for kids as young as 11 or 12, uh, FINA has uh, handed down its decision to restrict trans athletes from the women's side of the competition, but they did have one exception if someone had transitioned, if a male uh, athlete had transitioned by the age of 12, then they would be able to compete in the women's competition. Now, FINA say this isn't to encourage anybody to transition that early and they, in fact, say that's not a good idea. But you see this as almost a validation for transitioning children younger and younger. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I know a lot of conservatives are celebrating this move, but I don't. I don't actually see it as a win. Now, the win would be if the governing bodies over these various athletic competitions, if they just said, "Hey, you have to be a woman to compete against women." Period. Doesn't matter when you transition. Doesn't matter anything else. You have to be a female to compete against women. Now, that would be a win for sanity and for just truth and moral decency. That's not, that's not what's happening here. All they're saying is, well, you have to, you know, if, if a male wants to compete against women, he needs to start his transition younger, um, which is actually uh, legitimizes childhood transitions. And that's only going to be used by the other side to say, well, see, this is why we got to get the kids on the drugs as early as possible so that they're not left out of uh, opportunities later in life. Um, that's you know, that's that's maybe looking at it as glass half empty, but that's also how I think uh, it's it's going to be used. Oh, gosh, I hope that's not seen or interpreted that way, but I can understand why, why you have that fear. Um, now, back to what is a woman. Uh, you spoke to plenty of experts, and some of them <laughs> were triggered by the strangest things. Even the word truth was seen as triggering and transphobic. Let's have a look. Well, I'm not even talking about social context. I'm just, I'm just trying to start by getting to the truth, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm really uncomfortable with that language of, like, g getting to the truth. Again, in social why, why life... Is that, why is that uncomfortable? Because that, it sounds actually deeply transphobic to me. Um, and, if you, and if you keep probing, we're going to stop the interview. I, if I probe about what the truth is? You keep invoking the word truth, which is condescending and rude. I'm saying was, to you... How is the word truth condescending and rude? Why don't you tell me what your truth is, and you're walking on... 30 seconds more of the nights before I get up. Fano, that is all the time I have to give you in terms of this interview. Uh, really interesting. 
And it's quite clear that, you know, Matt Walsh sits in a, a very biased whakaro. Um But I really love to hear what you think. Um, interesting sides. I'm not even going to give a, an, an opinion on this because I haven't searched enough. What I do know is what my truth is, and it starts to make me ask the question for myself, and how could I answer that? Really interesting corridor. So I come from an open perspective where I look at both angles and search out the answers for myself, and I'd love you to do the same. That is all we have time for. Gender ideology doc. So um, Matt Walsh, what is a woman? It's going to beat now Molly Collins and Ruth Royal Remedies. That's the Vibe Chemistry Remix from UKF Release. Stay tuned. We've all got our remedies. When your head gets too full of memories You've been losing your way again The whites of your eyes don't seem the same You've been taking it further than anyone The look in your ass is your many Every time 
tuned back into the Flat Out Pride Hour here on Free FM, 89.0, independent community media. Live stream and podcast us via freefm.org.nz, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Access Media NZ app, that is us. Lady H on your mic for your funky Friday, we're into wrapping up your show. What's hot and happening for your coming weekend? I hope you've enjoyed the topics I've brought to you today. All of them have got me intrigued about these quarter, and I hope it sparks something for you. All right, so what is happening for our events? Firstly, I wanted to let you know that Hamilton Pride are looking for volunteers. They have Pride events coming up from April the 16th to April the 29th this year. And they just need some amazing people to get in touch with them so that you can volunteer and make Pride in H-Town a huge success. Queen. All right, let's see what's happening. I have only minutes to bring you as much as I can. And we don't even get time for that beat that I'm wanting. I promise I'll bring it to you next week. I'll get it up first. How's that? So here goes for your Friday, the 10th of March. Gallagher Chiefs versus Highlanders are at FMG Stadium in H-Town today. Pride on Wheels Roller Disco is at the Kilburnie Recreation Centre. Relay for Life at Claudin's Event Centre. Stories in the Garden at Garden Place. Bridgerton Summer Hall at the English Cherry Tree Manor. Pride Picnic Coronation Park at Mount Maunganui, that's for your Saturday. Fat Daddy's Bottomless Burgers, Beer and Bubbles at the Elephant Wrestler. Wellington Pride Youth Ball. Iconic Past, Present and Future. Shed 6, Queen's Wharf in Wellington. Get your tickets from ticketmaster.com.au. Yes, love that. They're going to be featuring amazing drag performers, a low stimulation space, goodie bags, pot prizes, delicious kai, and more. Kapai Willies. Whitechapel Jack, endless summer tour at Tuning Fork. So, unfortunately, that one's online. Rotorua has a lakeside concert. So, this is for your Saturday Fano. My Chemical Romance are in Auckland with Goodnight Nurse at Western Springs Arena. Wellington Drag Performer of the Year 2023 is happening at the Grand. That's 69-71 Courtney Place in Wellywood. Get your tickets from TicketFerry.com. So it's a brand new drag competition to showcase the fiercest of the fierce as Wellington's best compete for the ultimate title. DJ Drew G. at S&M's. Oh yeah. An orchestral rendition of Dr. Dre. 2001, and that's happening on Christchurch. We've got Soaking Sounds for your Sunday. Ah, there's Pride Bingo on Wednesday the 15th at the Cashmere Club. That is 88 Hunter Terrace in Christchurch. Cool, cool and cool. Burlesque Cabaret Night at the Elephant Wrestler at 138 Hurstmere Road in Takapuna. Get your tickets from joylab.co.au. NZ. 
Tucker Thursdays at the Elephant Wrestler again. The Generation featuring Jamrock are at Navarra Lounge in our H-Town. And that is what's happening for your weekend and your week. Foo, fine, I didn't, didn't even know if I was going to get through that in time. Hoi no. That is the end of our show. I hope you have a fabulous weekend, wherever you are, whatever you're getting up to. If you're getting to a Snoop concert also on the sad day, have fun, y'all. And if you didn't know, Sunday is our big gay out at Coyley Park. Get in early for a car park. Enjoy the day. and Hopefully the ground is good and the sun is out. Might see you there. Love, light and laughter out to Alfano. Be safe on the streets and in the sheets. Condoms and lube are your safest form of protection. Mariora e We'll see y'all next week. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out more.